really interesting. You know what acrostic poem is? Yeah, Psalm 119 is a good example. Except Psalm 119 is just crazily developed. You know, really amazing. But this is also, in a way, it's the longest in terms of having like four chapters that are acrostics. So, do you know how many letters there are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. 22. Know how, how many verses there are in chapters 1, 2, and 4? 22. One for each verse of the alphabet. So every verse starts with the next letter of the alphabet. It's a couple irregularities, but essentially that's the case. Um, chapter 3 is in three verse segments. It's got 66 verses. But still the same idea of each verse starting with the subsequent letter of the alphabet. Uh, so uh, there are some other acrostic poems besides Psalm 19 and Lamentations 1 through 4. There are certain other psalms that are written in an acrostic fashion. And there's one other very famous passage in the Bible that is an acrostic, every verse starting with the next letter. Anybody know? You know this passage well, but you didn't know. Proverbs 31, the worthy woman passage, is an acrostic poem. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? That's not a well-known thing, but it is. You know that passage, right? You know, but we don't think about it being a question, but it is. So, why write it that way? Why write something where every verse is the next letter of the alphabet? Can you think of some reasons? Makes it very complete. Yes, it, it kind of symbolizes the fact that this is a total expression of grief. But think about this. When you are really, really upset about something, how does that affect your thinking? You've been upset about something before, haven't you? Really, really upset? What does that do to your reasoning and thinking? Messes it up. Messes it up how? Coherent? You're not as coherent. That's exactly right. You're sort of disorganized, chaotic, you know, one thought after another, you're just kind of like, this structure imposes some order and organization on the expression of grief. You know, otherwise it's so emotional sometimes, you can't even get something out that's, that, you know, you hear somebody who's just really grief-stricken, and sometimes you can't even understand really what they're trying to say because the thoughts just come randomly and they can't even finish a sentence before they started another and burst out in tears. And, you know, you just like, what, what happened? I can't even figure out what it was. You know, so I think the acrostic pattern in Lamentations really helps have an organized structure to express that grief. Um, so... Uh, that's that's what I've got to say about just Lamentations as a book. Any qu- comments or questions about the book or the introduction to the book? We had uh, Jeremy the Hutt come over for a Sunday and talk a lot about Lamentations. And something he said with the acrostic uh, structure of it is that it could be something like we're grieving and grieving, but yeah, we're not overly consumed with the grief but it has an end and at that point there is an end that's a good thought yeah I like that yeah, very good Yeah, so because when we're asking those questions and answering them to a great extent it's us trying to figure out what purpose there would be 
It's not like he says that. So that's that's reasonable. Other thoughts or comments about introduction? All right, so let's look at uh, Lamentations chapter 1. Now, you know, it's a little hard anyway with acrostic poems to, like, outline them, because the outline is really the alphabet. And, uh, you know, it's certainly hard in Lamentations to come up with much outline, because it's kind of all the same thing. Uh, But there is a little bit of an outline of chapter 1 in that... um, in verses 1 through 11, with a brief exception or two, this is like describing what happened to Jerusalem. And then in 11 to the to 22, it's like Jerusalem describing what happened to her, with a couple of exceptions. So like, the first half is written in third person, second half is written in first person. So we're going to kind of divide it up that way as far as our reading and thinking about it. So chapter 1, would somebody read uh, verse uh, 1 through the first half of 11? How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction and under harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters, her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. All her majesty has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes have become like deer that have found no pasture, and they have fled without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things that were from the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the adversary, and no one helped her. The adversaries saw her. They mocked at her ruin. Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She did not consider her future. Therefore she has fallen astonishingly. She has no comforter. See, O Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has magnified himself. The adversary has stretched out his hand over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, the ones whom you commanded that they should not enter into your congregation. All her people groan seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. Yes. So, wow, there's a lot of sad in this already. You know, and we just kind of have to look through it a step at a time and notice some things. It's not really that hard to understand a point at a time, but it is, you know, impactful. Um, you see in verse 1, what it kind of like the before and after picture. What she was and what she is now. What was she before? <clears throat> As a princess. She was a princess. She was full of people, great among the nations. What has that princess become? Slave. Yeah. That's quite a come down, don't you think? 
you know, uh, from prince to slave. You know, now she's lonely, isolated. Uh, that's pretty sad. Verse 2, instead of sleeping, what does she do? Weeps. Weeps. And what makes it even worse, what she's suffering? Everyone she counted dear has left. Yes. All of her friends, all of her lovers, none of them comfort her. In fact, some of them have double-crossed her and turned against her. Now, who would those lovers be that had turned against her? Well, Babylon itself, in a way, because like Hezekiah had gone and shown them everything that he owned, and they were friends and stuff, and then they turned up against him and took everything he owned. Absolutely. She had made treaties like with Babylon and other nations from time to time and cozied up to them, and they'd all turned against her and exploited her. And, you know, she ends up having to confront the uh, very you know, sad reality that her only hope was in the Lord. All these other nations and friends she thought she had that she could rely on deserted her when she needed them. You know, and when you thought you could count on them, that's a pretty sad thing. You know, it makes you pretty upset, and she was upset. In verse 3, she's gone into exile, harsh servitude. She's among the nations, but she's found no rest. Now, one of the things you see in a lot of Old Testament passages, especially in, like, Deuteronomy, is how the land of Israel itself was like her rest. You know, that was a place where she could, you know, find true rest and, and relief. Hebrews 4 picks up on that idea. Uh, Psalm 95, but there's no rest now. She's off into exile. You know, she's suffering. Uh, she's a servant. And so the rest she thought she'd have, she doesn't. Um, there's a passage, for example. There's a lot of these passages. But Deuteronomy 28:65 in the, like, the consequences of disobedience section, among those nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. That's Deuteronomy 28.65. That would be a typical, you know, warning passage about that. Verse 4. What do you see happening in verse 4? Or maybe I should say, what do you see not happening in verse 4? No feast. Because? Because no one's there. Yeah. <laughs> no one's there to celebrate the feasts. Um, you know, most of you uh, are still relatively young. A lot of you still live with your parents. Are there special occasions that happen nearly every year that, like, you really look forward to and are, like, pretty, pretty cool things in your family? What are special occasions? Well, John, what's a special occasion for you guys? Groundhog Day. Is that a big thing? Yeah, we watch a movie and eat a bunch of junk food. <laughs> okay, cool. Is there anyone else here other than John's siblings that finds Groundhog Day a special day for your family? 
Yeah, I figured that. Uh, what what would be special days for your families? Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and you know, don't you look forward to sometimes like that Groundhog Day or other things that are parallel to that? And uh, you know, do you have memories of some of those times? And you know, just I mean, you know, that kind of it's nice to have something special to look forward to. You know, if you never had a special day, wouldn't that be boring and just kind of depressing? You know, I bet if it's Christmas or Groundhog's Day or whatever, <laughs> that you look forward to that for a while leading up to it. You know, you can't. And then after it's happened, you, you know, talk about or think about the different things that were cool about that time. And, and so it was for them. Their feast days were huge, but they're not there. No feast days. Her gates are desolate, it says in verse 4. Now, what would it mean for her gates to be desolate? What's that saying? No one's using them? Yes. No one's using them. (laughs) Nobody's coming in and out. There's nobody to come in or out. And furthermore, in the gates, they have like the city government. Well, there's no city to govern. You know, everything, things have just ground to a halt. You know, it's kind of the sounds of silence. You know, that's kind of the idea. Her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, she herself is bitter. This is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's just really sad and and, uh, discouraging. Um, Her adversaries, her enemies, are now her masters. You know, the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. And her little ones are gone. It's all because of her sins. And her enemies, people like Babylon, are now ruling over her. I'll pause here. I don't know when to pause and let you talk. But thoughts and comments, uh, observations from these first five verses. It's interesting they didn't appreciate these things before. Like He was giving them warnings and stuff for these things, and they weren't really caring about these things that much. They weren't caring about their their government systems. They weren't caring about the feast. They weren't having the feast at all. But now that it's taken away where they can't have it, they realize what they've they've missed. And and we can do the same, where we don't appreciate what we have until until the government comes in and says, well, you can't come and have Bible studies. You can't come and have singings. Um, And then we will appreciate what, what we can't have. It's typical that you don't, well, you're not really thankful for something until you lose it, and then you realize how much you wanted it, needed it, and missed it. Good point. Other thoughts? Look at verse 6. You know, her majesty has departed, her princes have become like deer that have found no pasture. You think about a deer that's like terrified, that's running away. You know, they fled without strength before the pursuer. You see the vulnerability. It's like, you know, not only get they get beat, but they were so weak, they just fled. They panicked. You know, it, it's kind of demoralizing. It's kind of shameful, almost. that They didn't even offer much of a defense. They didn't have much they could do. They sort of fled. And You remember, you remember who the last king of Judah was? Zedekiah. Zedekiah. When Babylon actually knocked in the wall, remember what Zedekiah and his uh, nobles did? 
They ran away. You know, um, if the ship's going down, who's supposed to be the last person off the ship? Captain. The captain and the crew, right? So who should be the last person in the city, you know, that's taken by the enemy? The king? Nope. Soon as they came through the wall, he hightailed it out of there. Of course, they caught up to him and blinded him and took him into captivity. But, you know, that's just the... You just see feel this defeated feeling here. Uh, verse 7, In her days of, of affliction and homelessness, Judah, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things that were from the days of old. You know, back in those days, it's kind of like what Cameron was saying. You know, once it's taken away, then you remember, oh, all the things we had that we don't have now. You know, in verse 8... Uh, they mocked her, you know, she sinned greatly, she's an unclean thing, they despise her, you know, um, she's just like, not only is she physically destroyed, but everybody's laughing at her, mocking her, looking down on her, speaking badly about her, you know, she even looks at herself and turns away. You ever looked at your face in a mirror and thought, ooh, gross, <laughs> I don't want to see myself? You know, it happens to some of us more than others, I understand. But that's what it was for Jerusalem. You know, she saw herself and she was disgusted even with herself. She couldn't stand looking at herself. That, that's pretty bad. <laughs> you know, uh, verse 9, uh, she she's fallen astonishingly. There's no comforter. He keeps saying that. There's nobody to help. You know, she didn't have anybody around. You know... Being isolated, you know, feeling like you have no friends, like nobody cares about you. Don't you feel that every once in a while? I bet most of us have felt that. That's kind of a normal thing. You feel like, man, if I killed myself, nobody would care. You know, that kind of a thing. Surely I'm not the only person who's ever felt that. Uh, that's what she's feeling like. There's no, there was nobody to help her, no comforter, no friend, no encouragement. You, know, you just feel alone. You feel just, really, that's that's just depressing. I mean, it's bad to go through something bad if you've got really good friends around you that really you're, you can turn to and, and they encourage you. But man, to be by yourself and feel like, I could, I, you know, there's nobody I could call on the phone who would want to listen to me. You know, that's, that's really hard. Um, and then, look at what the enemy did in 10. What did she, what did the enemy do? Not just the city, also the, which is the temple. You know, ah, you know that the temple was so special. It was God's special house. It was their special building. And here these Babylonians had come in and gotten their grubby hands all over their stuff. You know, it's kind of that idea. You know, just ah, and 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 just uh, even just to go into the sanctuary. I mean, that was a sacred place. Can you imagine seeing the Babylonians waltz into the Holy of Holies and, you know, steal the gold off the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, things like that? Oh, wow. I mean, here's this special, sacred, holy room that only the high priest could enter once a year. And the Babylonian pagans just come in and wipe it out. It's it. This is really, 
you know, it's hard for the Israelites to deal with. Um, in verse 11, her people groan, seeking bread. They've given their precious things for food. You know, I don't know what all their precious things were, but I'll tell you what, if you get hungry enough, what wouldn't you sell if you could get some food? You know, whatever they meant the most to them, maybe even their children, they sold to try to get food. The seizure of Jerusalem was terrible. All right, thoughts and comments on these first, uh, uh, the first half, really, of uh, chapter one. Well, uh, how about the middle of verse 11 through the end of the chapter? See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you that all who pass this way? Look and see if there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord has inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. The yoke of my transgressions is bound. In his hands they are knit. By his hands they are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. The Lord has rejected my strong men in my midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands. There is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones around about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders were perished in the city, while they sought food to restore their strength for themselves. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious, in the street the sword slays, in the house it is like death. They have heard that I groan, there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity, they are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed, that they may become like me. Let their wickedness become before you, let their wickedness come before you. And deal with them as you have dealt with me. For all my transgressions, for my groans are many, and my heart is faint. So did you notice that shift of emphasis that for the most part, this is Jerusalem talking about herself. You know, first it's Jeremiah just describing it. But it's almost worse when Jerusalem just tells how she feels. You know, just almost a, a plea for, for, for compassion, for somebody to care. You know, she says in, in 11, See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. Is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see if there's any pain like my pain that the Lord gave me. You know, it's like begging somebody care. Somebody's, somebody see how horrible this is. You know, begging the Lord to look and realize what she's going through. Isn't that, isn't that sad? 
you know, this is this is a very uh, you know emotional book. You know what they called Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. You reckon Lamentations might be part of that? <laughs> you know, Lamentations in some ways is probably the most constantly sad book in the Bible. You wanted to be depressed this morning, right? Um, there actually are some positive statements later on, but most of it is just like, whoa, this is really bad. And, you know... What's one of the lessons you get out of that? Well, why did all this happen to Jerusalem? Because of our sin. Yeah. So what should that make us do? Hey, let's give up our sins so we don't end up being like her. I mean, you know, it's just so sad to see the like the outcome of sinful behavior and see the grief and the isolation and the discouragement. It's like, learn from that and do the right thing. You know, so, pleading for help from the terrible affliction the Lord has given. And look at how uh, she describes what's happened to her. You know, there's a lot of different ways of describing how the Lord punished. In verse 13, how does he describe the Lord's punishment? What did the Lord do? Sent fire into her bones? Yeah, that's bad. You know, normally the fire starts like on the outside and burn your hair off first and then your skin. And Well, this fire started in the bones. (laughs) That'd be bad. What else did he do in verse 13? (coughs) Yeah, we think of a net being used for what? Yeah, to catch animals. You know, so God's trapped them and caught them uh, and just kind of runs roughshod over them. You know, you see all the transgressions coming down on her in verse 14. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I'm not able to stand. So Jerusalem realizes God's the one behind this. God's who made Babylon conquer me. The Lord's rejected all my strong men. He's crushed me. Verse 16, this is what I weep for. My eyes run down with water. It's like he bawled his eyes out. You ever heard that expression? Well, that would be really bad if it happened literally, wouldn't it? But, uh, you know, that's kind of the idea uh, here. Uh, and, and he keeps saying, and they keep saying all through this, in one way or the other, there's nobody to help and there's no comfort. You just get that constant, uh, you know, tolling of that. It's almost like, quote the raven, nevermore. And there was no comforter. And there was no comforter. And there was no one to help. And there was no comforter. I'm alone and nobody's here to help. I feel just surrounded. You know, verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands. You know, you think about stretching out your hands for like, help, come on, help me, somebody help me. She stretches out her hands, there's no one to comfort her. You know, the adversaries surround her. There's nobody to help. You know, verse 18, the Lord is righteous, for I've rebelled against his command. She knew the whole reason for this is not that the Lord has mistreated her. She deserved it. It's her sins that have caused it, which makes it even harder. You know, I called to my lovers in verse 19. 
but they've deceived me. The priests and the elders perished. You know, verse 20, Seal, Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. It makes it worse that she knows this is what he's, what she's done. You know, <clears throat> does it really help <clears throat> that she acknowledges this? Does she feel better now? Not really. You know, this is like just constant disaster. I mean, think about, you know, if you look at what's happening in Jerusalem, what should that make us think about? What's the worst thing that could happen to us? Being separated from God for eternity? Yeah, going to hell. And what would that feel like? Can you imagine? What, what, would, what would your emotion be if you ended up in hell? Anything and everything negative. Yeah. Man, can't you... You'd feel so sad and so alone. You know, do you reckon in hell they have friendships and buddies and people you like to hang out with and things like that. Will it be like that? No, it'll be totally isolated. There's no loyalty, there's no truth, there's no love, there's no mercy, there's no compassion, there's no... There's nothing. You're just isolated and, and just grief. Grief. And think about somebody like us turning away from God and being lost when we knew better. When we'd already started doing the right thing and then we went the wrong direction. Can you imagine how bad that is? We know it's all because I sinned. It's all because I turned away from God. It's all because I refused to continue to live for Him. Wow. You know, it's helpful to think about this and just think about how what Jerusalem is going through in a physical way is what people will go through in a spiritual way who give up on the Lord and turn back to sin. So is this, this is just a sad time for the nation. Again in verse 21, there's no one to comfort me. All the enemies have heard and they're thrilled. And he says, punish my enemies. You know, that's what he wants to happen. That's, they're the ones who deserve it. You know, but obviously Jerusalem knows she deserves it. She sins so much. This is what God has done to her. That's one sad chapter, guys. But we need to know the sad so we don't go there. Thoughts and comments on chapter one. Um, you hear about them, you know, how they're so upset, you know, and, you know, they're crying for someone to notice them. You know, just like, you know, look at me, doesn't anyone see this? And it makes, it reminds me of God. You know, he was telling them, you know, stop it, stop. You know, he was in pain with what they were doing to him. And, you know, he's saying, stop it, turn away, don't do this. And so... And no one listened to him. Yeah. Now no one listens to them. Good point. Logan. I think it's kind of funny that they, they remember um, what the Lord prophesied against the other nations in the end of verse 21. But they didn't take heed of that. They didn't take heed of what they, he prophesied against them. Yes. 
Yes. We would rather God punish the other people and not us, but he's an equal opportunity punisher. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Well, I wish I could tell you that chapter 2 is going to be a lot brighter. It's not really. Uh, So chapter 